Welcome back to the For Where You Are podcast brought to you by Chapel Street Church. My name is Joe Scavato, and today we are talking about the way of love. Today I'm joined by Brian Coffey. Hi, Brian. Hey, Joe. And more excitingly, Sarah Rosenthal. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Joe. Sarah, thanks for joining us. You are a part of our Chapel Street Kids team. You're part of our young adult ministry. More importantly... You have hosted this podcast before, so welcome yes, back. Yes, yes. Long-time host, first-time caller, as they say. <laughs> That's right. They do say that. You uh, hosted one of our bonus episodes this summer about parenting and did a great job, and so we said, we need to have you back, and so we're glad that you could be with us today. Um, before we start, thoughts on peanut butter? Oh, peanut butter, yes. I did actually, in preparation to be on this podcast, did do some research on the podcast previous and mm-hmm. saw that peanut butter was mm-hmm. a big deal for you. It is. I do like peanut butter. I, I don't know if I could make a whole podcast about it, but maybe <laughs> I could be a guest someday. I would love to have you on the guest. Yeah. So when I start the new podcast yeah, on the wonders add me of on the, the wonderful world of peanut butter, I will have you on. Perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Well, it's uh, good to see you both today and spend some time together. Uh, we are just flying through our series called The Way, and Brian, you were preaching this weekend, and so yes. why don't you give us a little recap of what you talked about. Okay, so uh, if you've been with us through this series, you know that the first three weeks, uh, we've looked mostly at what the way means for the life of the individual believer. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, that's a statement of uh, the exclusivity of truth, but also the inclusivity of the gospel. And then he said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. That's the, our inner, uh, the self is replaced by the cross of Christ as identity and, 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 and the, the central operating system of our lives. And then he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Uh, if you abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Those are all, uh, we understand those individually. But now we sort of shift to talking about what we as people of the way look like when we're all together. Sort of the corporate expression of this, this way. And we see that the best description really is love. It's the love of Jesus made visible through his church. Uh, through shared devotion to his word, through fellowship, to prayer, and to generosity. And that's kind of where we began. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Sarah, you were not preaching. I was not. Any uh, any big picture thoughts or takeaways from, from this series so far, from the message you just heard? Yeah, I have really appreciated how practical it is. Um, and... Uh, this last one, I actually got to listen to both Brian on Saturday night, and then I listened to uh, Jeff's sermon at Kesslinger. So, um, yeah, I appreciate how there's different perspectives on something like this. And I think with love and community, a lot of times I feel like you, you feel like you have to make it into this mold. I have to be this certain kind of way and just realizing like the way that you're wired is then how you'll connect with other people. So it's, it can look different for different people and different people need different things. So it's just interesting to think about, um, yeah, the model that we have of Jesus and his disciples and how their ministry probably all looks really different from each other because of who they were and that we get to follow in that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to spend some time. We have a lot to talk about. We'll see how much we get through. Uh, but we, we looked at this um, in both John chapter 13 and 15, where, where Jesus basically commands his disciples to love each other, which is kind of an interesting idea of you must love. It kind of Mm -hmm. goes against what we think about love at times. And so maybe we should start there. When Jesus says you must love one another, what kind of love is he talking about? What are the characteristics of this love? And and then maybe we should get to what is it not? Uh, But start with kind of what, how would you describe that love? Yeah, I... I think the kind of love that he's talking about is the love that he modeled um, 
Jeff mentioned in his sermon that he's the personification of love. And I think when we think about love, you don't always think about a person necessarily. You sometimes think about a person that you love. But um, the way that Jesus lived and the example that he has of putting other people's good in front of your own, that kind of love. And he mentioned that there's a lot of like BuzzFeed quizzes about like how to know if someone loves you (laughs) Mm -hmm. and how those things can feel so shallow. And I think it's one of the saddest parts I feel like of our culture is what we've replaced love with Mm -hmm. and how it's so cheap and it's so fleeting. And it's like, I have love or I'm searching for love or I'm not complete without love. Mm -hmm. And when you come from it with this completeness of who you are in Christ to love other people, it's so freeing. And, um, so yeah, just the, the anchoredness is what I think of, of rooting in who Jesus is Mm -hmm. and how he loves us. Then you can love other people. Yeah. First of all, Sarah, I'm going to have to have you fill me in on what Buzzfeed is. That's a (laughs) new concept for me, but maybe after we can talk about it. You're going to love it, Brad. Yeah. But no, she's right that, uh, interestingly, the New Testament writers at that time in the language they wrote in, which was ancient Greek or Koine Greek, they had several different words they could use for love. We have one word we use. We Mm -hmm. use it all the time. It's one of the most overused, misunderstood words in our language, love. But they could have chosen a love that meant uh, fondness for something, like I love chocolate chip cookies. There was a unique word for that. They could have chosen romantic or sexual love. They had a word for that too, eros. And that's the way our culture almost exclusively talks about love, like Sarah said. But they chose a different word. Jesus uses the word agape here which is almost exclusively used for the love of God in the Bible. And so the love of God is as much decision and action as it is emotion and feeling. Uh, it's also sacrificial. Uh, it gives of itself to love the other. It's unconditional. It doesn't depend on the love of the other coming back. And all those things are unique to the love that is being talked about here. And so all of us collectively, when we love, like Jesus loved us, like the Father loved Jesus, That's what makes our community so unique in the history of the world. No other community loves like that. Uh, And that's what we aspire to. But we have to understand it first. And it's countercultural because it's not love as our culture talks about it. It's a very unique kind of love uh, that that is action, sacrificial, unconditional, and therefore different and unique. Mm. One of the things that Jeff talked about, and he's done this before, and it, it makes me feel bad about myself every time. Uh, it's talking about marriage mm-hmm. and how if you only loved your spouse when you felt like it, mm-hmm. you'd be a pretty bad spouse. Mm-hmm. And and I think kind of seeing that as a picture of, of mm-hmm. what this love is, where it's not just a feeling or or not just convenient, but it's just a consistent action. Yeah, and that's why it can be commanded, yeah. because it's not just a feeling. We think of it as a feeling, but it is feeling and emotion, but it's also decision and action. That's why it can be commanded, and that's what makes it different and unique. Yeah, that's good. I want to talk, uh, Brian, you just mentioned kind of how this is what our community should be marked by, of this unique kind of love. Um, I'm sure you both have heard this. I've heard it as well. Probably a lot of our listeners have uh, encountered people who are not a part of the church um, who would say people in the church are unloving mm-hmm. uh, or perhaps judgmental or, you know, mm-hmm. the, the list would go on of, of words that people would use to describe the church. Um, how do we respond to that? What, what should we say? How do we think about that um, when we could probably point to examples, both sides of yes, you're right or no, you're not? Yeah. I think it's both sad and ironic that some of the cultural narrative right now is is that about us, about the people of the way, about the church, that we are 
unloving or judgmental. And, and the truth of that is sometimes that is true. That's what makes it sad. Sometimes uh, followers of Jesus have come across like that or have behaved in those ways. And I think we have to acknowledge that. But on the other hand, uh, it's ironic because what made the early followers of the way so unique is that they really did love this way. That's what they were known for. And that's why that movement exploded in the ancient world because no one had ever seen a community like this before that loved each other and loved those outside the community and loved uh, to the point of sacrifice. Um, so it's, it's ironic, and I think that we changed the narrative the same way the earliest followers of Jesus did by, uh, like Sarah said moments ago, to, when we follow Jesus and love the way he loved, that's the only way to change that narrative. Um, and that's what still, what still we need to do today. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah, I think um, being willing to listen um, to the ways that it's been hurtful, even if it's something that you have been a part of, mm-hmm. is a hard skill to mm-hmm. learn to not be, it's something that defensive, I definitely though, am yeah. still yeah. learning, yeah, to not be too defensive and not be too sensitive that, you know, you know, I, I do things and I try to do things well, you know, and if that is hurtful to other people, that's hard to hear, but being willing to to listen to people, to apologize for the ways that they've been hurt. I think that's huge, even if I wasn't the one who did that, like to still offer that. And that's not how it's supposed to be, just being honest about those things. Um, we read this summer uh, with Sub 30, we read the book Find Your People by Jenny Allen. Um, that's And Sub 30 is our young, our adult young adults ministry. Yeah. And it's all about community and um and just felt like that was like a good topic to talk about with young adults who are searching desperately for community and connection. And one of the things she said is the thing you can be sure of is that everybody will fail you and God never will. Mm-hmm. And when we live in that, it's so freeing to know like, Joe, you'll fail me, you know, and even, Sorry. yeah, it's okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, to take that pressure off of other people and off of yourself, because we're never supposed to be that one. So when they say the church is imperfect, it's like, yeah, we are, it is, it has been, and it will be, um, because we're people, you know, and that's too much pressure and too much responsibility on a person that we are never supposed to be. So I think, um, yeah, just finding that confidence in, in that God will never fail us. And we reflect it so poorly <laughs> in the best way that we can, the love of him. But really, all we're trying to do is push people towards Jesus, who's the only one who actually will. Like, Chapel Street will let you down, but Jesus never will. And mm-hmm. hopefully Chapel Street is one of those places that pushes you closer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's good. I would jump into and say it's it's uh, there's a really... By the way, uh, are you sub 30 yourself? Yes, I am. I'm actually dub 30. So. <laughs> dub 30. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. You can start your own th- group, I, I dub 30. Th- I, I, I That's from Sue Ann Egan. But we, 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 do not, we don't need, as followers of Jesus, to apologize for truth. We do need to apologize and, and accept responsibility for being unloving. Hmm. I think sometimes we get those things confused. That's good. And, and there's, a really, there's, a really, there's a nuanced distinction between believing that which is true and teaching and preaching and holding to that which is true and doing so in a loving or unloving way. You can do it either way. And I think our our responsibility is to recognize where we haven't been loving in the way we presented and lived out truth. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really good. I, um, my wife and I are leading a rooted group this fall and we were this past week, we're talking about suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, and we were talking about, you know, people who have asked the question, you know, why would a God allow suffering? How can I follow him? You know, that whole line of Mm -hmm. questioning, 
And we were talking about answers to that question. And, and one of the things we kept coming back to was it doesn't matter how you answer it if you answer it harshly or, right. or to override or, or mm-hmm. ignore the pain behind that mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what you're trying to get to. Very similar. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Brian, you did something in your message, which I want to just kind of spend some time with, where, where you took us to Acts chapter 2 mm-hmm. um, and some of w- the description of the early church to kind of show this picture of love and of community. And so kind of walk us through that. Walk us through what, what the connection is between those things. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think when we look at that, that picture of those earliest followers of the way, um, we learn that authentic community, because it's described beautifully, like everybody wants to be part of that kind of community, Mm -hmm. Uh, but it doesn't exist without love, and nor does love exist without authentic community. There's a relationship there, Um, and real relationships take real time. It it, over and over again, it tells us they were together daily worshiping. They were in each other's homes, sharing meals with gladness in their hearts. There's there's an investment of time and care in relationships, and which is which speaks to us today because in the culture we live in, we, f- we think that we are very connected because we're connected through, you know, Facebook and FaceTime and Instagram and texting, and we can do all that at the speed of light, but we're, th- those aren't real connections. They're, they're pseudo connections, and we actually live in a very lonely culture. So I think that if we see that real relationships take real time and are sh- real shared joys and real shared pains, and it takes time to develop that. That and that, and that is what love looks like when it's a when it's a corporate group. Um, I think we could we could dwell on that for a while because we tend to be involved with church a lot of times. Well, if I have an hour spare, you know, I, I can go to church once or twice a month mm-hmm. on Sundays. But that's not that's good. But that's just scratching the surface of mm-hmm. what this was a as a sharing of life. And when you love someone or when you love a group or when you share a passion, it's more than just an hour or two in a month. It, it's it's sent more central than that. And I think that's what we see. Authentic, authentic community requires love, and love requires time and investment in real relationships. As you look at the people of our church in our community, what keeps us from that? What are some barriers to the type of community that, leads to that kind of love. Yeah, I think the um, lie that we can believe in our culture is that we don't need anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm fine on my own. I've mm-hmm. built myself. I'm I'm good, you know. And then we get to a point, as everybody does in life, where things become too overwhelming, and then you feel like you have nobody to turn to. Mm-hmm. And it's a vicious cycle that I've found myself in. When I get overwhelmed, I want to isolate. And then I'm like, there's no one here mm-hmm. because I pushed them all away. <laughs> so I, yeah, I think that there's a facade of connection mm-hmm. because you look, you scroll through Instagram and you can think about everybody has all the things that I wish I had. And then the person who's posting it feels insecure about themselves. <laughs> so it's like, it's not working for either side typically, mm-hmm. um, but nobody talks about it. And so I just think talking about that, breaking down those barriers is huge. And I think something in my life that has helped me is friends that don't let me put up that facade who don't, let me isolate who, you know, press in when you, when those things come up. And I think surrounding yourself with people, which can be hard, that's a, that's a barrier too, but surrounding yourself with people who care about you enough to not let you go through life alone, 
I think is is one of the things that makes the people of the way unique. Mm-hmm. And when you know something hard happens in people's lives, you're not alone. There's people who show up. There's people who who move close in those times. But if you've isolated yourself, then nobody can do that because they don't know you're not okay. Yeah, I think. Um, <coughs> excuse me. We are we're all sort of captive to the culture we live in. And we are in this culture captive to things like comfort and individualism and, um, uh, and loneliness in a way. I had a chance a month or so ago, I had a chance to travel and I was in a different part of the world in the, in the country of Nepal. And we visited these small little house churches and, and there there's a, there's a, there's a, a palpable difference in community because people there have a sense of, uh, of, of, physical poverty and um, dependence on each other that is really foreign to us. They literally share food because they don't have enough food. Mm. And, and so they need each other in a way that's very foreign to us. And you can feel it when you're with them um, in these small little house churches. You come back here, and, and I don't have that same feeling here because I don't, I don't need anybody else to share their food with me because I have enough. And I have my house and I have my stuff. And, and, and so that kind of, uh, we, so we, I think sometimes we need to step back and look at the poverty of our own culture, which isn't economic. It's not material poverty. It's a different kind of poverty. It's a kind of relational poverty that, like Sarah said, we sort of buy into and, and we don't realize we are living in poverty and we don't need each other in that same way. And it's difficult for us to break through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's only in times of crisis, mm-hmm. uh, sickness or death or loss that we actually realize, ooh, I, I really do. And when that time comes, uh, unless you're already embedded in the community that, that offers you some of that uh, in a smaller group setting, uh, you, don't, you, you won't have anywhere to turn. You won't have people around you at that time in need. Yeah. <clears throat> That's a good segue to my next question. All right. <laughs> um, Okay, so someone hears that. Mm-hmm. Someone wants that. Where, how do we find it? How do we find that community? Sarah, you talked about having friends who mm-hmm. ask you real questions and don't let you just put on a, a happy face. That, that feels really hard, I think, for a lot of people to find or even to be themselves. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to someone listening who's longing for that community but just hasn't been able to find it so far? I, I tend to start with, um, I'll be interested to see what Sarah says, being a different generation <laughs> than me. Um, but you notice in that Acts passage, it says they were devoted to, and I, in thinking about that, uh, the, I would say uh, get involved with something that you care about. Hmm, that's good. Get in, like in, it, within the framework of, of a church, for example, Find something that you, that you care about and be devoted to it. And, you, and along that way, you'll find other people devoted to the same things, and that creates community. People who are That's devoted really to the same thing, whether it's a football team or a cause, mm-hmm. create a form of community. And a lot of times when people have come to me and say, I don't feel very connected, when I ask enough questions, they haven't actually plugged themselves in anywhere that they care about. They want people to care about them, but they haven't cared about anything else. And so they haven't gotten connected to people who are going the same way, doing the same things, caring about the same things. So that's what I would say. Find a smaller group that cares about the same things you care about and just jump in. Yeah, I was going to say take the first step. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my freshman year of college, the very first night, which is a hard first time mm-hmm. at college. And it was a long I, time ago for Brian. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank this you, whole Joe. podcast is just about our difference in generation. It's great. Uh, but I remember calling my mentor from back home, and I was sad, alone in my room, 
and said, I don't have any friends. And she was like, how would you expect to have friends already? You've been there for about four hours, you know, (laughs) and we had like an orientation. That was all that had happened. And she was like, there's somebody else on your floor sitting alone in their room right now. Go take the first step, knock on their door and ask them if they want to go get dinner. And I was like, but I don't want to be the first person to do that. I feel like I'm always the first person to do that. And she was like, what? You're giving somebody else the gift of not having to take that first step if you take the first step. So I went and knocked on the door of the girl who lived across the hall from me. And, you know, you want to be like, and then she became my best friend. But she didn't. It was just this girl who I was kind of loosely acquainted with in college. But I we would get dinner together every month and or so. And I took that first step knocked on her door and I didn't eat dinner alone that night. And I think for some people, you're not sitting alone in a college dorm anymore, but I think we're all still in that same, that we have moments that we feel that way. I don't have anybody to talk to. I don't have anybody to sit with if I try to go to that event. I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't, all these people have friends, but I don't. And those things are just lies that can circulate and go around around until you don't go to any of the things that they need you. You know, um, we have so many opportunities here at our church and in our community to get connected, but you have to take the first Mm -hmm. step. And I so desperately want to take the first step for people. Sometimes I'm like, I just wish I could get them here Mm -hmm. and I can't control that. (laughs) And I can't, I can just create something and hope that they'll come. And I think it can be hard to take the first step if you've come to an event and you don't feel like you belong. How do you make that? How do you go back again and um, try to create that community? But I think if you're going to sit there and wait for somebody else to come knock on your door, then you're still going to be all by yourself. So give somebody else the gift of taking the first step. Ask that person who you're like, this person's kind of cool. Ask them to go get coffee with you. It seems we feel like we have to come up with this perfect, like I'm going to invite you to my home and I have a perfect charcuterie board waiting for you when you arrive. (laughs) And we don't need that. We just need people who show up. I love charcuterie. Yeah. I mean, I do too. Don't worry. I can make a good charcuterie board, but I, but I think we, we overcomplicate it when what we really need is just simplicity. And I think when you were talking, Brian, about different cultures and even the culture that we're talking about from the early church, there's a lot of the simplicity that mm-hmm. we miss here. Mm-hmm. We try to overcomplicate mm-hmm. everything because we can, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I think we miss the point if we don't just take that first step, even if it's just a tiny step forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. What, one of the things that I, I always am reminded of um, even when it's like I'm going to something and like part of me just wants to stay home and sleep or, you know, whatever. Um, and not just thinking of what is it good for me, but will it be good for others that I am there? Mm-hmm. And not that I'm, you know, mm-hmm. anything special, but just someone else to say, hey, how are you? How have things to, to pray for others, to, to be there for others? I think sometimes we think of community as what can I get out of it? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. just as important is what will others get out of it from me? being present um there's a lot more we can get to but we're starting to come up on time let's let's do this give some examples for people who um have been thinking about this idea of loving others loving each other um give some practical ways for someone to do that just in in simple everyday life this week uh, um, i'm not great at this my wife is great at this <laughs> but there was an example from our lives from years ago, someone who, it, I, I want to say do something, don't just say something. The people who mm-hmm. I've seen demonstrate love don't tell me they love me, they do something. There was a, a person in our church years ago, and we had four boys growing up, 
and who showed up at our house one day with a f- complete cooked meal, enough for all of our family, and some left over, and, and we didn't know she was going to do it. And she didn't tell us she was going to do it. She just showed up. And we took it inside. We'd have to make supper that night. And like once a month for like a whole year, hmm. this person did this. And no words. She didn't hang around. She just gave it to us and left. And I thought, and maybe it made us feel so loved and cared for. But it wasn't a dramatic thing. Like Sarah said, mm-hmm. it was a simple thing. It was mm-hmm. paying attention and taking a guess, a wild guess at what someone might need, and you express your love through doing something. That's what I noticed, and that's what I see. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, um, Pastor Brian talked about in his message the like worship at the temple and meals mm-hmm. at home mm-hmm. and talked about how he had an experience mm-hmm. where he would go to a meal every week at the same house. And I think my challenge to love your neighbor is to ask somebody to get dinner, whether that's at your house, have them over at your house. Or if you're like, I hate cooking, then go out to eat with them. Um, but just the one person who, if you're thinking there's this person who lives next to me or this person who I'd like to get to know better, take that first step, invite them out to dinner or to over to your house for dinner. And I think there's something sacred about being around a table. We see that a lot with the people of the way around a table, sharing life together. And, um, yeah, I think don't overcomplicate it. I'm not, I feel like you could be like, here are 10 steps to love your neighbor this week. Mm-hmm. And people be barely even, article. yeah, yes, that's BuzzFeed, Brian. <laughs> okay, but, <maybe. laughs> but you know, you barely even read those lists, let alone do them. So yeah. just do, just pick one thing and do it this week, because then that gets you one step closer than last week. Yeah, absolutely, that's great. And if anyone wants to buy me dinner, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> that's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Brian, can you give us a little sneak peek of what is coming up in this week of the way? Sure. Um, we will continue down the, the kind of the, the pathway of um, looking at what the way looks like collectively. Um, Actually, this week is, is, is certainly both, but it's, Jesus starts talking about, um, he confronts a, a very typical human um, tendency toward thinking about ourselves and thinking about um, uh, status and thinking about achievement, and he talks about what true greatness is. He starts talking about uh, the power of serving and where that comes from. So we're looking at the, at the way of true greatness, the way of service. All right. That'll be good. Looking forward to it. Okay, now it's time. Sarah, this is this is where I'm so excited. This is you've been doing great so far, but mm-hmm. this is what matters most. Very mm-hmm. good. It's time for Joe wants to know. Oh, what you know, Joe? I don't know nothing. What you know, Joe? Tell me something. What you know, Joe? Okay, so last week, I feel like I need to make a statement. You guys, neither of you were on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Last week, I made maybe my most controversial statement on this podcast Whoa. where I said that fall was overrated. Ooh. Ooh. And I had a That's lot of a people. That's a big statement, Joe. And I don't know if Jeff's ever been more disappointed. <laughs> he <laughs> quoted poetry to me. Yeah, oh, I'm, no. Yeah, he yeah. And I just have to say that I stand by what I said. Okay. Wow. He, he goes for the old double down. Not, he he yeah. doubles, doubles down on it. That's a just boy, for I, the record. He's probably lucky, lucky I wasn't here with Jeff because it would have been, that would have been a withering, <laughs> a withering blast of condemnation would have come from us. I stand by what I said. Like okay. a whole f- cold fall wind of <laughs> yeah. criticism. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like yeah. fall. We would have rained, rained colorful leaves all over your party there. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Okay. This week on Joe wants to know in honor of Halloween, coming up mm-hmm. okay. what is one thing that you are afraid of that no one would know about you 
Yeah, I um, laughed when I read this question, particularly about the, that no one would know, because I feel like I'm pretty outwardly scared of things. <laughs> <laughs> I have sure. what you would call the opposite of a poker face, so it's pretty clear like when things scare me. But I went to this haunted house one time and in, when I was in college, like definitely old enough to just go ahead and walk through the haunted house. Mm -hmm. And I was curled up in the corner and my friends had to come be like, come on, sir, we got to go. Like everything is afraid. So it's good. Um, but I would say maybe one thing is like driving in really heavy rain okay. is maybe something I haven't shared with everyone. You haven't been telling people um, that? Yeah. Because like when you can't see, you know, mm -hmm. that's that's hard. Mm -hmm. That's scary. But I'm scared of like most everything that's just your typical. The haunted house is just like kind of made for me, I feel like. Uh, of, like <laughs> how can we scare Sarah? So. I wish I'd have known that. I would have brought some stuff in. Yeah. <laughs> what's, what's the opposite of a poker face? Is it like is it a go fish face? Yeah. I don't know. Or, yeah, I don't is, know. A heart on your sleeve, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Brian, what about it's you? It's hard to choose. You said one thing, but I'm, I, like usual, I'm gonna you can it's <laughs> over answer. Yeah, I'd say uh, I started thinking about with Halloween, but I'm I'm uh, spiders uh -huh. in our house. My wife takes care of all the spiders. I'm not embarrassed, not embarrassed to say wow. I can handle mice and all that stuff, critters, oh, but not spiders. This. She does the spiders. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed about it. It's spiders <laughs> and dentists. Mm. You're afraid uh, of dentists. Yes, I, I love dentists, but I'm afraid of them because I, when I was 12, I had a traumatic experience. So if you're a dentist out there, I love you, but I'm I'm terrified. But stay away. But what I'm real and Halloween specifically. Yep. What okay. scares me most is <laughs> parents who dress up in full costumes with their children. Ooh. Wow. On Halloween, <laughs> this is controversial. Now, 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 if you if you do that, if you're listening, you do that. Uh, great for you, but it's really kind of terrifying to me. I uh, I find that well, very frightening. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i was hoping for joe that reaction right there I, i'm speechless i don't yeah, know what no. to so that's almost you never dressed up with your kids when no. they went trick-or-treating did, no. did lorene no i don't think so you guys I, like, that's a new thing is, i started it. noticing it a few years ago i'm like what is oh that's really what scary. exactly makes you afraid <laughs> these are great questions <laughs> now you're gonna give me trouble now sarah no, because it's okay. I, I love all i love all of you out there listening i just do yeah. However, <laughs> grown adults dressed up in like full-blown costumes are I, scary to me. It's just scary. Like, what are they going to do next? It's <laughs> incredible. My my wife, she doesn't listen to this podcast, but if she did, she would be deeply offended because she <laughs> is trying to get a family like themed oh, okay. costume for all of us, okay. and I'm deeply mm -hmm. opposed to it. Yeah, and so. I'm going to play this for her uh -huh. and let her know that I'm not alone. I, she also Brian's loves fall, phone. doesn't she? She loves fall. Jeez. We have a lot of conflict. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Mm -hmm. I am afraid of time because today is both my wife's birthday and my son's birthday. He's one year old today, and I am terrified at how fast it has gone. Yes. So that's fine. So happy birthday to my family, who, again, yeah. is not listening to this podcast. Luca might go back and listen to it someday. There's not a chance in the world that he's going to do that, and that's fine. Well, you also face the challenge of, for the rest of you know, your life or foreseeable future, you have to accomplish two things on one day. You have to... Let me tell you something. I'm afraid of that, too. You, yeah. you, you have to I'm not sure that I've You have succeeded. to meet expectations for two birthdays on one day. I have them back-to-back -back days, but not the same day. And that's a challenge, my friend. It's a that's big a day. challenge. Yeah. Pray for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Good to see you both. And thank you for listening to the Four Yard Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and share this with a friend. If it has helped you in your faith journey, we'll talk to you soon.